0: Matthew chapter 5, we're uh, verse 21 through 26 today. Um, you are all brave people because you have chosen to come to church. I warned you two weeks ago if you read the emails and the Facebook posts uh, where we're headed. If you've been keeping up just where we're going, you are a brave person because we have now arrived at a series of passages where Jesus is going to just leave us bare. Um, so we've been working our way through this gospel. And last week in verses 17 through 20, uh, Jesus taught us, well, verse 20, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Okay? That's really holy. That's, well, let me scratch that. It has the appearance of really righteous, but it's actually not, okay? And then we, we went through Romans five, we went through Romans seven, because Paul was a Pharisee. He's a great example of somebody how sin can take your love of the law and use it as an opportunity to produce all kinds of sin within you. And for Paul's case, he coveted morality. He saw the law and he had to have the righteousness that it described, not the God who gave it to him. And a coveting of the law produced all kinds of sin of self-righteousness in Paul. Okay? So there's just no earning the kind of righteousness that Jesus describes that gets us into the kingdom of heaven. There's just, there's just no earning it. Okay? We do need a righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees because the righteousness of the Pharisees is no righteousness at all. Okay? Now, if you don't believe that yet, have I got a series of passages for you? Okay, Matthew five twenty-one through six, and so on. Okay, okay, we're like Miss Fizzle into the magic school bus. Did you read those children books and watch that PBS animation and later on Netflix? Not as good as the old animation of PBS, where the bus is going to shrink and we're going to go into the human body into the heart, okay? And Jesus is going to demonstrate for you and I through a series of relationship-oriented teachings just how profoundly unrighteous we are and just how incapable the law is of transforming us, okay? The point of every one of these passages is the same, okay? The point is the same. You and I can't read the law and the prophets and covet after them. We have to read the law and the prophets, which are about Jesus, and long for Him. Okay, that's the point. It's to drive us to Jesus. Okay, but the topics are so real and so practical that we're going to take our time and do every one of them. I'm. I, 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 Never mind. I've, I've told you I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. We'll go. Okay. There are several I would like to skip for for both personal reasons and because of the topics themselves. Okay. But we're going to do it. Lord willing, <laughs> we're going to go right through it. Okay. Um. So they're they're so practical. So we're we're gonna, so because remember what did Jesus say in verses 17 through 20? I did not come to abolish them to to fulfill the law and the prophets. And so whoever Whoever breaks one of the least of these commands teaches others to do the same is called least, but whoever does and teaches. So even though it's about the heart, it's, like, it's not like there's no practical output from the heart. There is, and Jesus is going to teach us that from, from the text today. So here we go. Uh, and Before I read, let me, let me just kind of set it up this way. Did you see in the news this week about the Homeland Security's disinformation committee thing. I, I knew that. I knew at least two or three people. We talked about it in Sunday school, too. There's information. There is disinformation. There, are such, there is such thing as a truth. There is such thing as a lie. And those two things can't coexist. It's okay. That's, that's true. That is what Jesus is getting ready to embark on. He's, he's embarking on a disinformation campaign. And you, and you can see it in the text instantly in, in verse 21 and verse 27 and verse 31 and verse 33 and in verse 38 and in verse 43 uh, throughout chapter 5. So let's, let's read verse 21 through 26 together. Look at it with me. You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, Do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. That's the disinformation. Verse 22, but I tell you, and here's the truth statement, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Okay. You've heard that it was murder, but I'm telling you, if you've ever been angry, you're, you're subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to... Well, now it's getting intense... Hellfire. So if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother or your sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him to the court, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the officer, and you... Will be thrown into prison. Therefore, I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. Okay. I want to do three things today. And the first one is let's get some clarity. Okay. Look at verse 21. You've heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. The first thing I want you to underline here is this phrase that you have heard it said. Now, on one hand, this is a very common phrase that not just Jesus, but rabbis used to teach the text. It's a really simple and effective way of reading and explaining. That's what preaching is supposed to be. It's supposed to be reading the Bible and explaining the Bible and making it clear. Okay, And um, the, so Jesus uses this phrase because it was a common phrase. But the other reason he uses this phrase is that most people didn't read. You all can read. But Jesus' day, most people could not. And so quite literally, they only knew what they heard, which is why Jesus says, you have heard it was said. That's important to keep in mind all the way through the text because people are not living by what they read. They only have what they are told. There's a great deal of potential for disinformation. Okay? But the second thing, and I think maybe the most important thing, is that Jesus isn't critiquing or questioning the law because he's not come to abolish the law, loosen the law, invalidate the law. He's the fulfillment of the law. He's already preached its necessity and its authority. So when he says, you've heard it said, do not murder, but I tell you, he's not critiquing the law. He's critiquing critiquing the way in which it's been taught to the people. He's critiquing its interpretation and its application. There is a right way and a wrong way to read and interpret and apply the Bible. There is a right way and there is a wrong way to read and interpret and apply the Bible. There is no, well, I see what you're saying, but maybe you could do it this way. No. (laughs) There is a right way and there are wrong ways to read and interpret the Bible. And remember, the right way is Jesus is the fulfillment of the Scriptures. Okay? Do you understand? So Jesus is saying that He is critiquing and questioning the way that the scribes and the Pharisees were interpreting and teaching the law to the people. He's not questioning the law. He's questioning its interpretation and its application having been mistaught by the scribes and the Pharisees. Because the scribes and the Pharisees were putting together Exodus 20 and Numbers 35 and by doing so they rather intentionally or unintentionally, who knows, but they were emphasizing the legality of the law and not the relational aspect of the law. They're emphasizing that it's a legal issue, maybe not necessarily a relational issue. Okay, and that's something we're going to see all throughout the rest of chapter five. This slow and steady bending of the law to be more about its legality than a way, than about the relationality, the relationship, an emphasis on its letter, not an emphasis on its spirit. Okay. And if with that emphasis comes a blinding self confidence and a self righteousness instead of humility and introspection. Remember the story I told you about me stealing lifesavers? It's interesting, my mom did not call the police. What'd she do? She marched me back in the store to apologize. What was she emphasizing? Relationships, not legality. Okay. It's a very Jesus thing she did there, and even though I don't necessarily know that she was doing that. Okay. So in this case, and in others that we'll see through chapter five, the scribes and the Pharisees are effectively reducing the meaning of the text to legality, not relationship. Okay. They removing the full implication of the commandment. It's making it legal, not relational. So Jesus offers a true correction. This is the right way to read Exodus 20. This is the right way to read Numbers 35. Jesus says, I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or his sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. Okay, So Jesus is saying, unfortunately... Jesus is saying that to interpret the commandment from Exodus 20, you shall not murder, strictly in terms of taking the life of another person is merely to interpret the law that enables most of us to keep it. I dare say no one has killed another human being in this room. As as much as it happens, as the stories are illustrated for us in the news and told us in the news... In some really horrific ways, and in some really disturbing ways, all of it's all it's bad. Most of us don't know someone who did that. Most of us, if not all of us, have not done that. Okay. But the reality is, according to Jesus, that all of us are guilty of breaking this commandment and doing it in very grievous ways. Because the letter of the law says, "Don't murder." But the spirit of the law is that anger in our heart, directed at our brother, is murder. The same heart that murders is the same heart that angers. So to to hate, to to feel bitter, to have this very unpleasant, unkind feeling of resentment toward another person is to be guilty of something just as reprehensible as murder. Okay, that's, that's what it means. Now... Maybe you were doing in your mind what I have been doing in my mind since Monday morning, okay? You were trying to figure out how in the world Jesus could equate murder with anger in your heart, okay? And if you're doing that, I do that, you do that, we're thinking about behavior, not our heart. We're saying, well, I didn't actually do it, so that means I must be, you know, so think about it just for a moment. Isn't it weird that the Ten Commandments standards are actually quite low? <laughs> like, they're really quite low. Do not lie. Do not steal. Do not deceive one another. That's Jewish. That's Jewish tone. You know, it's got to be. I lie, 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 lie. We got that right. That is not in the notes. I'm not sure what happened. It's, party. it's been a party all weekend, so I'm just, you know. As far as the letter is concerned, it's lowballing. okay? But if we're truly honest with ourselves, we know that even though we may generally keep the letter of the law, surely there's more. Like, surely I'm not okay if I just refrain. Like, if I just don't kill anybody, God's good with me. Is that the extent of God's holiness? We know there's something wrong, okay? Do you all remember what last Sunday was? Oh, I can't believe I wrote this down to talk to you about. Um, last Sunday was Mother's Day. How quickly we forget, right, Laura? I mean, geez, okay? I don't know if your standards for your children's behavior get elevated on Mother's Day as a father or maybe as a mother. Like, yes, Mother's Day. You guys better, you better fly right. You better be on time. You better be, you know, whatever she wants is what we're going to do. We're going to do it with a smile on our face, right? <laughs> that was my expectation. And it was not happening, okay, myself included. Just it was not happening. And I was, I had some degree of patience. I was biting my tongue, holding the fort, you know, holding back the water, doing my best. And then we, we went, to, went to this fast, fresh place where Holly likes to eat dinner um, on, uh, on, on Sunday, after, Sunday evening around 6, but the kids, the younger kids don't particularly like it, and the attitude was just sour, and it was sour, and it was sour, and I finally had just had enough, and I leaned in to my two younger children. Abby, do you remember Sunday night? I leaned, I Luke, do you remember? Nope. <laughs> There's a parenting lesson right there, isn't there? <laughs> I leaned in, I mean, hard and under my breath, because we were in a patio surrounded by two other dads paying for their mother and their children to eat, because kids eat free at this particular place. And I murdered my children <laughs> multiple times with a knife, okay? Right there at the table. See what I'm saying? Abby said she teared up and somehow reason she had the, 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 the courage to say, you have hurt my feelings. That is not what Luke said. <laughs> Luke doesn't even remember this happened, do you? But this, is still alive. But this no, it's true. This, this really happened on Sunday. Oh, my goodness. This, y'all, do y'all see what I'm having right now? And then on Monday... I had all this pent up frustration at my wife and finally at the end of the day and it wasn't just like the day of frustration it was like months of stuff because you know that's that's my way of poorly handling my emotions and my experiences and I there was blood everywhere okay Luke it's a metaphor <laughs> So the spirit of the law is that anger equals murder. And I, I'm going to explain why that's here, but I want you to feel like this is an, it's an emotional thing that we're talking about. you got to feel it, right? And it's not just anger in the heart toward another human being. Jesus says he helps us feel the weight of this teaching throughout the verse, right? The righteousness of a follower of Jesus must not, not, must not be guilty of either expressions of contempt or expressions of abuse. That's what verse 22 and 23 are, okay? Verse 22. These are expressions of contempt and abuse. I tell you, whoever is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or his sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire, okay? The phrase insults his brother, does anybody's translation have raka? You have that? okay. That's technically, it's like a, it's a slang word. It's not, you know, straight translatable. So uh, it meant so many things that you kind of have to write lots of things in your English Bible to get at it. It just, it means airhead, worthless fellow, um, all the things, okay? So that's why the CSP just says, whoever insults his brother, pick your insult. That's what that one means, okay? Um, The word fool is the Greek word is moray. It's where we get our word moron from. (laughs) Jesus is saying, those of you who hold and express contempt or abuse in your language toward another person, Exodus 20, you shall not murder. That's what it is. The heart that does that is the same heart that, that murders. Okay? Anger in our heart toward another human being speaking contemptuously and abusively toward another person is is murder, okay? Uh, One of my favorite folk singers, songwriters, uh, David Wilcox, has this very humorous song called Blow Them Away. Every morning in my commute, mild-mannered man in a business suit when I want to go home at the end of my day. There are all these other cars stacked up in my way. I pull up behind one, pull out my pistol, and blow them away. <laughs> so, we're, what's, what's he doing? He's exposing our heart, right? Jesse James, behind the wheel, at high noon, in my automobile. This is a, this is a, that's our heart he's describing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, which is effectively his sermons or his commentary and his reflections on the Sermon on the Mount, writes this, Anger is always an attack on a brother's life because it refuses to let him live and it aims at his destruction. That's what anger does. The disciple must be entirely innocent of anger because anger is an offense against God and his neighbor. So to love God and love your neighbor. Anger is the opposite. Love your neighbor. Anger is the opposite. Okay? It's the death of your God. It's the death. It's the death. The angry word is a blow struck at our brother, a stab at his heart. It seeks to hit, hurt, and destroy. A deliberate insult is even worse for we are then openly disgracing our brother in the eyes of the world and causing others to despise him. With our hearts burning with hatred, we seek to annihilate his moral and material existence. We are passing judgment on him, and that is murder, and the murderer himself will be judged. Yes, so Jesus' point is that the same heart that literally murders is the same heart that slanders and insults As angry. Those are, things are murder because they reflect the heart's desire of a person to have that other guy out of the way. Okay, That's, that's what it means. And when we get angry, when we swear, when we insult, when we hold in contempt or abuse with our words, we murder, but we also forfeit, to segue from Bonhoeffer, our relationship with God. We erect a barrier, not just between the person we've just slain, but between ourselves and God, which is why we have verse 23 and 24. Jesus says, So... If you're offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. So Jesus' point here is that whenever there is anger in our heart toward another person, we actually have to have a positive, proactive attitude towards redeeming it. Okay, There is no value As far as God is concerned, in an act of worship or in other good works that are done when there is anger and strife between you and another person. Okay, let me say that one more time. If you were in a state of conscious anger or strife against another person, if you're harboring anger, I'm not saying that there's actual reconciliation. I'm saying if you are harboring anger toward another person, there's no value in your worship. Okay, now I have been, I have, I've, I've, I've been a pastor for a long time, mostly full time. And man, have I experienced some worship wars in my life? Okay, I've had complaints about the chairs not being comfortable. I've had complaints about the sound not being right, about this music or that music. Um. Mm, most of the people will overlook whether a sermon is good or it's bad. So sometimes I get complaints about that. Okay? There's, it's amazing how music is so closely, I think, more closely tied to the heart that the way you go about doing a sermon, it's like, well, that's really hard. I'll give them a pass. But the music guy's like, that's more important. Like, it's really hard to be a worship leader compared to the preaching pastor, I think. Okay? There's, I'm with you, Weston. Okay. But it's interesting. All of those complaints are attempts to detail a general dissatisfaction with worship. You know, people really do want worship to be meaningful. Okay, And the things that make worship meaningful, the things that come to mind, like how can we create a meaningful worship experience? Usually it's you know, the, the, the hearts and the attitudes of the people leading worship, um, the lights, the sound, the comfort, like are we removing distractions this is the way language we use a lot to, so that people can focus. No one's ever come to me and said, you know, maybe the reason worship's not very good here is because we're all not, you know, getting along. Okay? No one's ever said that to me. Perhaps the reason worship is not as meaningful as it could be is because we're just not right with somebody. Okay? Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Okay. So, so Jesus says there's a relationship between our, between our enmity and our strife and our relationships with people and our ability to worship and commune with God. It's not about salvation. It's about relation. Okay. So we have a need, verse 23, 25 and 26 to view all of our relationships in the context of our relationship with God. This is why Jesus says in 25-26, reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're even on the way to him to court, if that's what it takes. Or your adversary will hand you over to the judge, the judge to the officer, you'll be thrown in prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out of there until you've paid the last penny. It's a metaphor. Okay, Jesus is illustrating the importance of resolving our anger because to be a disciple, to be a person of the Beatitudes is to be a person who has a clear conscience in his relationship to men and to God. Okay? A disciple should not hesitate... I found this on the web. That's so sweet. The, <laughs> a disciple should not hesitate to bring peace, to make peace, going back to Matthew 5 to his relationships because God has made peace with him and he wants to remain in that peaceful state with God on a day-to-day basis. So he's going to bring it to bear in his relationships and that's going to require heart work. Heart work. Our enjoyment of God and God's receiving glory in our worship is predicated on our ability to make peace and have a clear conscience in our relationships with people. Okay. And and we need a new heart, not a try harder attitude. That's Jesus' point. Yes, right? To go back to the very beginning. Okay. So there are lots of great books out there. Um, the title of one's Good and Angry. If you want to read that, I can't remember the author's name. The top of my head, "Good and Angry." Holly's got a devotion book I saw on the couch this morning. She's—I'm not saying she needed it. Okay, I just saw that she has it. It's, it's by a book called Robert Jones called "Calming Your Heart." It's a 30-day devotional about anger and 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 recognizing your triggers and temptations when when anger comes. It's something I need to read. Okay, so that because because I, I want I want to recognize that there's there are some things you can do, not just put them in it. That's good heart work that a sermon can't do for you right now. But I want to emphasize what Jesus is emphasizing, and that is we need a new heart. So we had the prospects of family coming this weekend to celebrate Trey's uh, graduation. And then when you start thinking about it, you're like, man, our furniture is really janky. (laughs) Or man, that bathroom hasn't been painted in five or six years, and it looks like it. Uh, it, like, it gets used all the time, all the, it's just, just stuff, you know, just, like, we got to do some things, and we've been doing, and one of the things we had to do was, was we had these chairs that we bought from Sam's five or six years ago that are just, they're kind of falling apart, but I just was putting it off, and putting it off, and finally, we found some replacements that were affordable and whatnot, so I, I was like, but, you know, I, I kind of wrestled with it, I'm like, this chair, I mean, they're, they're not that, they're not bad, like, they're, they're not bad at all, you know, I mean, I, and so, I, but, then I, but then I was convinced. So, so we, we bought these new chairs and I drug out or carried out with, with some help these two bonded leather Sam's recliners and got them out into the front yard before I could load them into the, the, the back of the van. And do you know what I discovered? The filthiest print. Who knows what on those chairs? My dog. Those, I mean, there was food, milk. Uh, We're clean people, but look, it was, it was gross, and I didn't see it until I drug it out into the light for it to be seen. Heartwork—you've got to drag, you got to shine the light on it, and have the courage to accept the righteousness of Jesus on your behalf instead of your own effort to keep your heart clean. Yes, sir. And let Him give you a new one. And let him keep shining the light on it to transform you. okay? Because you need a righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees, which is a legality of Exodus 20 and Numbers 35. You need relationship, changing, altering, heart transformation. And only Jesus can give you that and give you the power and the spirit to live that way. That's what you need. you Do that now. Let's pray together, and after we do, Ken and Kevin will be here to receive you. Father, we need that work. We need that new heart. And as we grow in you, we, we, need, we need the courage to keep stepping and living in the light. and. So it's one thing, like, to know that as far as the legality of is concerned, like we've been declared righteousness. Those of us who trust Jesus, like, not because we're good, but because you were, he was good on our behalf. Like we have that standing before you, but this is the life of the people who live this. Like that's true, like we're going to heaven. Now we gotta live like it. And that means it's not just about the outside, it's about the inside. So give us the courage to analyze our words our attitudes of contemptuousness, of abusive language or treatment of others, of anger in our heart, of bitter resentment. Just the sheer recognition that we break the law. But that, and then give us the joy of resting in the fact that Jesus didn't. And that He's the one that pleads on our behalf and he, you're the one who gave us His Spirit. The Holy Spirit to live just as Jesus lived. Help us, help us to, to live that way and rejoice in it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.